double for your trouble. So if you've experienced any trouble in your life, then you are a recipient for a blessing. God has set you up for a blessing today, and we believe that. I'm reminded of a story of a, a newlywed couple that uh, for a wedding present, they were given a parrot. And uh, they brought that parrot into their home. And within just a few weeks, the parrot would only say two words, let's smooch, let's smooch. When friends would come over, it would embarrass the couple because immediately the parrot would say, let's smooch, let's smooch. That's the only words he knew to say. That's the only words he said. Well, a few weeks later, they went to church, and their pastor was preaching and mentioned that someone had blessed him with the parrot, and the only thing that his parrot would say was, let's pray. Let's pray. So the newlywed couple got to thinking, if we could put our parrot with pastor's parrot, maybe it would be a good influence, and it would help our parrot say better things. And so they called the pastor. Pastor said, it's fine. Bring the parrot over. So they brought the parrot over and shared up the first thing their parrot said was, let's smooch. Let's smooch. And the pastor's parrot said, Thank God my prayers have been answered. <laughs> that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic at hand, but I just thought that I would share that with you. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Many people don't read the book of Job because they think it's a job. They think there is work involved, uh, but it's not a job. It's the story of a man who really did live. The Bible says that... Uh, Things are put in the words for our example that we can learn and we can, we can concentrate and we can focus on. And Job is probably one of the most interesting stories of the Bible. Uh, the, the book of Job was probably written by Moses. Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court and then he murdered a soldier and went into hiding for 40 years and in that 40-year window of hiding, most Bible scholars believe that Moses met Job, and Job shared with Moses his story, and Moses wrote the book of Job. If that is true, then the book of Job is older than the book of Genesis. It was written before Moses wrote the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Psalms 90. Moses wrote those books of the Bible, but probably wrote the book of Job before the book of Genesis, and we find a very interesting story about a very interesting place. Jerry, somewhere in the world, there is, a, there is a dimension where God and Satan meets. Uh, very controversial story. The Bible says that there was a time when the sons of God were with God and Satan interrupted their visit. Uh, in Hebrews, it says that uh, sons of God are not called angels. Many Bible scholars believe that God was meeting with angels. Uh, I disagree. The Bible says that God was meeting with sons of God. And when I think of the sons of God, I think of Enoch. I think of Noah. I think of Seth. I think of the different men that have had lived and died. Of course, Enoch uh, did not die. God c carried him up to where he was, and Elijah also was carried up to where God was. Two men that have lived that have not died is Enoch and Elijah. The Bible says that during the great tribulation, there will be a window for three and a half years when God will send two men to this earth, 
and they will preach about the blood of Jesus, and thousands will be converted, and then these two men will be murdered by the Antichrist in the streets of Jerusalem. And most Bible scholars believe those two men, because the Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die. So everyone dies before they live. And so those two men were probably Enoch and Elijah. Enoch could have been one of the men that God was visiting with. But somewhere there is a dimension in the heavenlies where Satan came and interrupted God's visit with the sons of God. And in this visit, God begins to brag on one of his children, which, which makes me ponder what today is God saying about me? What today is God saying about me? Is he saying good things about me? Is he saying I'm faithful, consistent, and good-looking? Thank you, Pastor Rod. I got one that's awake this morning. It's going to be a long morning. I got a feeling going to be. If I got to come down there and sit and amen my stuff, it's going to take like twice as long. Okay, but, but anyway, what, what if, if you were to ask that question this morning, what is God saying about me right now? Is he saying good things, that I'm an encourager, that I'm, I'm a blessing, I'm faithful, I'm consistent, I'm good-looking? Or what is, he, what, is he, what, is he, what is he saying about me? And it's incredible that God is bragging on one of his children. God is bragging on Job. And he told Satan, have you, have you noticed Job? Have you considered Job? He's faithful, he's consistent, he's upright. The Bible says Job was perfect. That means he was a man of integrity. And as God begins to brag on Job, Satan says, yeah, I've noticed him. I'd like to kill him. The devil hates you, and he would like to kill you. He does not care about you. He has no feelings for you other than destruction because where we were this morning, he used to be. This morning as we went into the presence of God and we worship God and we clothe God with our words of praise, at one time Satan was the choir director of heaven. He was responsible for leading one-third of the angels in worship to the Son, S-U-N, before he became the, 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 the carnal son, the fleshly son. He was the Son of God, and the Bible says that Lucifer led these angels in praise and worship to him. As Lucifer saw the power of praise and what would happen, Isaiah says the posts are moved of the voice of him that cries. Something happens. There's a, there's a power that's generated by praise. I said, there's a power that's generated by praise. This morning, you generated power. Your worship generates warfare. So something happens in the 15, 20, 25 minutes that we set aside to worship God and praise God. As that chair was designed to seat somebody, as this pulpit was designed to be a, to be a, to be a platform, you were designed to be a worshiper. You were created to be a praiser. And when you do what God has created you to do, then God does what he does for us. Aren't you glad this morning that he is in control, he is God, we praise him and we worship him. Job was a, Job was a worshiper. Job was an intercessor. The Bible says very often Job would intercede and, and he would sacrifice animals to God in case one of his sons and daughters, he had seven sons and three daughters, and just in case the kids got a little too much wine, or they just got too much of an attitude, Job would intercede for his children. And God sees this intercession. He sees this worship. He sees this praise. He sees this man of integrity. And God begins to brag on Job. And Satan says, yeah, I hate him. I hate him. What, what I used to do, he now does. He has your favor. He has your blessing. And I'd like to kill him, but I can't. 
I can't touch him because you have a hedge built around him. And this morning, I'm here to tell you, God has a hedge built around you. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So this morning, whether you're in church or whether you're in jail or whether you're at Walmart, God has a hedge built around you, and the enemy cannot do anything towards you unless God releases that permission. We see a, a picture here of, of the enemy trying to get permission to hurt Job, to take Job out, and we learn that God is going to teach us a very valuable lesson, and he's going to show us that bad things happen to good people. It rains on the righteous. It rains on the unrighteous. There are things that happen to Christians just like there are things that happen to sinners. God is, God is not a punisher, but there are tr troubles and trials that we go through. The Bible says the tribulation is great, but that the Word says that he has overcome all tribulation. Aren't you glad? In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome it. And knowing this congregation and know where we are, there's a lot of things going on in our life. There's a lot of stuff right now that's bringing confusion, is bringing frustration. Our husband's in jail, our dad's in the hospital, our, our children are sick, and, and there are things going on in our life. But I'm here to tell you, it only endures for a season. There's a beginning of the season, there's a middle of the season, and there's the end of the season. And I'm here to tell several of you, you are at the end of your season. You are coming to the closing minutes of this test, the closing minutes of this battle, and you're going to be found as pure gold. It is simply a test. Look at somebody and say, it is simply a test. Some, some tests are more drastic than others. Some tests are more severe than others. You'll see at first the, 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 the test against Job, and God said, I'll tell you what, devil, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll remove the hedge, and I'll allow you, I'll allow you to tempt him. I'll allow you to frustrate him. I'll allow, you to, I'll allow you to mess with him, but don't kill him, and don't kill his wife. But, but I'll, I'll, I'll release you, and so we find in just a few short hours, everything that Job owns is lost. All of his wealth, his legacy, everything that he had financially is gone. And I know what it's like in life to lose everything financially. I know what it's like to stand in line for 45 minutes and get a $76 paycheck because at that time, unemployment was $38 a week. That's how much you got. That wasn't a whole lot. So I went and bought $30 worth of marijuana and $8 worth of Butterfingers. Pastor Ron, it's just, it's just you and me. It's just, it's just you. So, so I, know, I know what it's like to be broke. I know what it's like to go through a divorce. I know all about that. I know what it's like to lose a son. I know all about that. But there are the, those in this house this morning, you're right in the middle of your test. I'm just going to tell you, hold on. Weeping endures for a season, but joy comes in the morning. Give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation, if, if you will. So we find the Lord lifting the hedge, and we find the enemy immediately attacking his finances. There are three things about Job. He was wealthy, he was an intercessor, and he was a worshiper. And those three areas of his life are the three areas the enemy tried to destroy. The enemy tried to, took, took all ten of his children in one afternoon, lost his wealth in one afternoon, lost his investments 
in one afternoon. Lost everything, and three times the servant said, everything died except for me. I'm, I was the only thing that survived that attack. I'm here to tell you there are things in your life that have survived the attack of the enemy. There are things that God has in your life that will protect you, that will keep his hand upon you and keep you sane and keep you sane. Job was going through some pretty crazy stuff, and while Job is going through this pretty crazy stuff, there's something I want to bring to your attention. Job endured this trial. I, I read the back of the book, Good News, We Win, Hello. Aren't you glad this morning? I don't know if you were the kind of person. Uh, I'm not that kind of person, but there are people in my life that instead of starting at the front of the book, they go to the back of the book to make sure it has a good outcome. Do we have anybody that would admit to that? I mean, rarely do we have that would absolutely admit to that. But you know what? When I gave my heart to God, I went to the back of the book. And I saw in Revelation 22 and 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it were there the trees, the healing of the nations, and we shall study war no more. Good word. Good thing happens at the back of the book. So Job goes through this trial. Job endures all these hardships that's going to come against him. But notice if, you, notice if you will, Job did all of this without a Bible. He did it without a church. He did it without a pastor. He did it without an intercessor. The one person in his life that could have helped him and, and sustained him and built him up and encouraged him had just buried 10 children. She wasn't a happy camper. She was not in a good mood. And she told Job, you've made God mad. You may as well curse God and die because Job had this sickness that was nigh unto death. This sickness was some kind of leprosy that was leaking, a leprosy that was bleeding, and he was so miserable. And I don't know if you've ever been attacked by um, chiggers, but I'll tell you what, you get a good chigger attack, you're in a place where you wish you could cut that leg off. Hello, do I have a friend in the house? I don't know if you've ever had a personal relationship, and I hope you've had only one with sumac or poison ivy or poison oak. It is so funny. There was, a, there was a day when I could take poison oak and rub it on my face, and it would never affect me. Now I'm in a place, if I get within five feet of it, it jumps out in the invisible, and it, and it attacks me. Can anybody relate? Job was so miserable, literally, that he took off his clothes. He put on an old sackcloth, and he's sitting in ashes, and he's got a broken piece of pottery, and he's taking the pottery, and he's scratching the wounds because they are so they are so itchy and they're irritating, and it looks like he's dying. Job goes through all of this without a Bible study, without recovery, without Christian television. He does all of this because he has his own relationship with God. And I encourage you this morning, Bailey, at a young age, at an early age, make sure you have your own relationship with God. A lot of us, when we grew up, we had mom and dad's relationship. We went to their church. We read their Bible. We sang their songs. But as far as a personal relationship with the Lord, I never really had. I had a youth camp relationship with the Lord. How many of you ever been to youth camp? Man, I mean, like the first night you got saved, and the second night you got sanctified, and the third night you got a kiss. I'm sorry. The third night you got the Holy Ghost, and then for three days you were a walking Bible. You were laying hands on 
trees and commanded them to, to produce. You were speaking to rocks, telling them to cry out. I mean, you were floating. You weren't walking. You were floating in the glory. And the nights were filled with wonderful services. And after that certain service, you found Pam Tuckness and you held her hand and your hand got all sweaty and that had never happened to you before. You held your mom's hand and your hand never got sweaty, but it was something about Pam Tuckness's hand. Your, your hand got all sweaty and you got all excited and, and you just lived for that little peck on the that little peck on the cheek that maybe tonight God will be good enough to give me a, a real kiss, not just a peck. Do I have anybody, in the, anybody with me here? Where's my youth camp? I mean, I mean, I mean they, it was a wonderful season. But unfortunately, when I came home, I didn't feed that season. I didn't water that season. And I got back in the same old rut of following the things of the world. I'm not talking about evil stuff. I'm just talking about life. I'm talking about peer pressure. I'm talking about things going on at school, things going on at the house, things going on in my own spirit. And I did not have a personal relationship with the Lord. It was around the age of 18 and 19 as I began to play a little bit in the things of the world. I began to realize that all the stories I heard about the rapture were true and all the stories I heard about hell was true. And I had people that actually did not like to party with me because we would smoke some Maui Wowie that I would look at them and say, you know, if the rapture took place right now, we would miss it. And they would get all bummed out. I said, you know what? If we got in a wreck right now, we'd all die and go to hell. Every one of us would die and go to hell. And my friends say, man, you're bumming me out. You're just, this is a bad, you're putting me on a, on, a bad, on a bad trip. But you can't get away from that word that's sowed in your heart, that word that's sowed in your spirit. And so around the age of 24, God began to turn some things around in my life. And I began to experience my own relationship with the Lord, going through a divorce, going through bankruptcy, going through getting my body cleaned of the cocaine. I went and found a personal relationship and found out that he's a personal God. And he wants to meet you on a personal level. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. And when that happened, things begin to change. Things begin to turn around. But Job walked in that relationship with the Lord. He had his own relationship with the Lord. And when things started going bad, Job made statements like, I know that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. How did he know about the resurrection? How did he know about the rapture? How did he know about the return of the Lord? He had not read that, but God began to put that in his spirit as he's going through bad things. Job made this statement, though he slay me, still will I trust him. Job, not realizing that this was a test, not realizing that this was something that God was watching over, he felt like that God was upset at him. He felt like that God was mad at him, that God was punishing him. But his attitude was, God, bring it on. Whatever you feel you need to do, I'm still going to trust you. Then he makes this statement, though the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. And we have been told that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We grasp that, but Job lived it. He lived that. He lived that resurrection power. Even though bad stuff was happening, he kept his heart pure. He kept his heart clean. And I'll focus on that in just a moment. But notice, if you will, where a lot of us are at right now. In Job 23, if you're not there, I'll give you just a minute. Verse 1. Then Job answered and said, even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. In other words, I'm really going through a tough time. 
I am really struggling right now with some things. I am really frustrated, and I'm wounded, and I'm hurt, and I'm disillusioned, and I'm worried, and I'm depressed. Can anybody relate to any of those? This is where I'm at right now. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. Job is saying there's a door closed. There's a light that's not on. I can't find God. But if I found him, I know he would not judge me. I know he would not be critical of me, but I know that he would understand me. Verse 7. There the righteous might dispute with him, so should I be delivered for even from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. I go backward, I cannot perceive him. On my left hand, where he doth work, I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. And I'm telling you, Keith, if I can so relate to this passage of Scripture, because a lot of times I have done a lot of things on my own that came back and bit me. Can anybody relate? I, it is easy sometimes to get ahead of God. A lot of times God will give us a purpose and a destiny and a plan, and then we'll start making decisions without his input, without his blessing, without his covering. And sometimes we do some really dumb things. We, 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 I guess we get the, 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 the cart before the horse. I guess, I guess we, on our own ration, rationale, we, we decide, well, we can do this and we can do that. And here's what, here's what Job is saying. There have been times in my life when I got ahead of God. Then he said, there's been times in my life when I got behind God. Has anybody ever felt like you missed the word of the Lord? You ever felt like you, I remember several years ago, one of my lifelong friends, and we were talking about investments, and we were talking about uh, stocks, and we are talking about bonds, and a door had opened, and I was not wealthy, but I had some significant money saved and the door opened for me to invest in Exxon. And uh, that was before the spill. And uh, that, that the, the, the stock was, was affordable. And it's something that I, I thought I should have done, thought I needed to do. But I had a real good friend that was wealthy. He had done very well in his, in his business and had been very kind to our ministry. And uh, he encouraged me against that. And, uh, and so I didn't. I didn't invest in that window that I could have invested in. And later that stock just rolled, kept rolling over, kept rolling over, kept rolling over, kept rolling over. And I began to realize, man, I missed it. Can anybody relate? I went to Walmart and I saw something there that I wanted. No, where, where did I just go? Oh, I went to, uh, I went to um, help me, Steinmark. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I saw this really cool shirt at Steinmark. And, and I started to get it. And I'd already got a jacket, already got a, another shirt. So I said, no, nah, I'll hold off. And then the more I thought about it, Keith, I got to thinking about that shirt. I think I even dreamed that I was wearing that shirt. And it was like, I got, it was like man, I can't live without this shirt. I got to go get that shirt. And I go back to Steinmark, and the shirt is not there. It's gone. There's no shirt in the store. And I went to the manager. And I said, listen, you had this certain shirt. And I began to describe the shirt. She goes, oh, yeah, we sold out of that a long time ago. And I'm thinking to myself, I missed it. I should have bought that shirt. And then sometimes I missed it in the area of 
I bought the shirt, and I realized, why in the world did I pay this much money for this shirt? What was I thinking? I should have never bought this shirt. And I know there's someone this morning that can directly relate to what I'm saying right now. But it's, but it's like, but that, that, it's easy sometimes to miss God. So I felt like sometimes I miss God. And then Job said, on my left, where he doth usually work, I don't know where you're at in your music. I don't know where you're at in your devotions. But there are certain songs that I can play that immediately I get stirred. I like that chain breaker. I like that. I like that. I like the songs we sing at harvest. And I get that melody in my mind. And man, I mean, I can just, I can just, I can feel God. I can feel His presence. Get anybody relate? Sometimes I've, I've got to pull over and park so I don't run into anybody because I'm just, I'm just basking in the glory. I'm just, I'm loving that song. I'm playing that song. Can anybody relate? And Job said, where I usually work God up, or I can usually, I can't find him in my devotion. I can't find him in my worship. I can't find him in my music. Then on my right side, which is the side of rebellion, there are many people, let me rephrase that, there are children in life that do cantankerous deeds because they're not getting enough attention. There are children in life that are hurting. They feel unloved. They feel unwanted. So they'll be rebellious and do acts of minor terrorism and they'll do acts of, of mischievousness just to get attention. And Job's saying, even in the area where I try to negotiate with God, and I try to, I try to God to come into my life because I've dropped the ball and I, I know I messed up, I can't find him there either. So the north, south, east, and west, he said, I'm looking for God, but I can't find him. And then notice verse 10. But he knoweth, the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I shall come forth as gold. We know there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. There are vessels of clay. There are vessels of wood. There are vessels of silver, and there are vessels of gold. And we, as those vessels, we determine what God pours into us, and what we become. Are you with me? In the tabernacle, all the vessels were gold. God wants us as pure gold to be used for his glory and to be used for his service. And if you know anything about gold, and I did not know a lot about gold, I just know a little tiny bit of gold costs a whole bunch of money. It's crazy when you think about a necklace that's worth three or four thousand dollars, or a bracelet that's worth a thousand dollars, and and you look at the little earrings that are five hundred dollars, and you and you think about uh, you think about the little tiny bits of gold that are worth so much. Yet my father has paved his streets with gold. Think about that for a minute. How wealthy my father is. He's paved he's paved the streets with gold. But the way that gold is mined and the way that gold is produced is the minerals are taken from the earth and the minerals are all in, in, intertwined with other minerals and they will place that mineral in a vat and place that vat on a fire. And then they'll crank up the fire and the minerals begin to melt and they begin to liquefy and the, and the, the minerals that are not gold begin to float. And the minerals that, that don't need to be in the gold, you take a net and you take some kind of screen and you screen off the top and you get all the dross 
and you throw the dross away, and the more you take the dross out, the more pure the gold becomes, and then you know the gold is pure when you look in the fire and you can see your reflection. The more we become like Christ, the more gold we become. The more that we focus out of the things of God, the more we start looking like God. Would it be something if God looked down upon us and all he saw was his reflection? Wouldn't it be if you could get to a place in your life where you walked a certain walk and talked a certain talk and lived a certain life that God would look down and say, this is my beloved servant in whom I'm well pleased? Wouldn't it be neat to be like Job? Well, no, it wouldn't be neat because look at all what Job went through. Yeah, but look what happened at the end when Job went through all of the stuff. I'm here to tell you this morning, God is not hiding from you. God is not withholding himself from you. But God has given you an opportunity to seek and you will find. We quote it so many times, Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans. And in this plan, there is a, there is a window, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And you're going to have a good end. And God prophesied over Job and said, you're going to have a good end. It didn't look good. He's dying. His health has turned to sickness. His wealth is gone. His power to give has been lost. He's lost his offering. He's lost everything that he had to give to God. He's lost all that. Yet Job is saying, I know that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand upon the earth, and I will stand with him. It's the journey that's important. And as we walk this journey, pursue this journey, and realize that Jesus has already walked this path, He's ordained our steps. He knows where we're headed. He knows what he's going to do for our good. Stay focused on the path. Stay focused on the journey. Stay focused on the destiny. Do I have a friend in the house? Job has four friends. Many people believe there were three. There were not. There were four friends. And three of these friends tried to explain to Job why he was going through what he was going through. And one of his friends says that, you're not confessing correctly. You're not, you're not verbalizing. You're not enunciating your words. You're not, you're not doing the right phrases. In other words, you're not the right religion. You're not the right doctrine. You're not the right philosophy. You need to change your philosophy, change your doctrine, change your religion. And they missed it. Job wasn't there because of his doctrine. He was there because he was under attack from the enemy. And then one of his friends says, you know what, Job? You've got sin in your life. There's something hidden. You've got something hidden somewhere pride or lust or something you're 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 hiding something from god and god is punishing you and job said my heart is clean my hands my heart is pure my hands are clean i'm i'm i haven't arrived yet but that i know of i'm not hiding anything from god i don't have anything in the closet that i'm hiding i don't know about it and one of the guys said job you're not tithing you're not supporting you're not investing you're not your your priorities are out of order and Job makes a statement, everything I have belongs to God. Everything God has belongs to me. We're in partnership. We're in covenant. And so these, so these three friends start trying to tell Job why he's doing, why he's where he's at, and why he's going through what he's going through. Before I allow anybody to speak to my destiny, I look at their fruit. Now, with someone like Pastor Billy or someone like Marcus Lamb, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with being judged. I'm okay. I'm okay with them looking at my fruit and giving me counsel and giving me direction. And probably about once every three months, I will seek the, the, the words of an elder. I'll seek the words of a covering, a spiritual father, a mentor. That, that, that's, that's the way Pastor Rhonda and I operate. We're not just out here doing our own thing. We're just out here raising up our own denomination. We're trying to follow the word of God and what God's word says about 
the local church and supporting and feeding and equipping the church. So we have that, we have that accountability in our life. We have those mentors in our life. And here's what Job is saying. I don't, there, there's, nothing I, there's nothing that I know that I'm doing that's, that's causing this to come upon me. Again, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Job does not know what he's going through. But all of a sudden, in, in chapter 40, God does something completely crazy. And God starts talking about Leviathan. And he starts talking about, and as you read the scripture, you'll realize that he's talking about a crocodile. And you've got to realize it's, this is not Elton John's crocodile rock. These are crocodiles. You've got to remember Moses is in hiding because the pharaoh of Egypt wants to kill him. But the pharaoh of Egypt is throwing all the firstborn male children into the river. And the crocodiles are feasting on the children of God. If you're here this morning and you're the firstborn male child, would you lift your hand? All of you as a babe would have been fed to a crocodile. How crazy is that? And God begins to show Job some things concerning the crocodile. And as he gets through almost the middle of this chapter, we don't really have time to look at that, but as he gets to almost the middle of the chapter, you realize God has shifted. It's an anomaly. God has shifted from a crocodile to Satan. And God begins to describe to Job Satan. And all of a sudden, Job, who has no knowledge of Satan, has no, no input, nothing whatsoever, begins to realize the attack he's under is a spiritual attack, and he is going to survive. He's tired of running his mouth. He said, twice I put my hands over my mouth. And there are many people in my life, they need to put their hand over their mouth and just shut up because you're making it worse. I got some big debate. Can Satan read your mind? He cannot. But he can hear your words and he can watch your actions. And he knows what's bothering you. He knows what's troubling you. And if you speak it to someone that's not spirit-filled, then the enemy has access to your conversation. If you're struggling with cigarettes, he'll send you free cigarettes in the mail. Hello. He knows exactly how to tempt you. He knows exactly how to mess you up. But as these three friends share absolutely a lot of beautiful poetry, but no significance of their words, then God begins to tell Job about Satan. And then he, God tells Job, I want you to pray for your friends. Now, listen, you got somebody belittling you and you got somebody trying to manipulate you and you got somebody trying to degrade you and, and debase you. It's tough to pray for those kind of people. It was easy to pray for my grandma and my mom and Grandma Carolyn. They were easy to pray for because they, they were just precious. They were, and Pastor Ron was part of that group too. I thought, I thought that you would appreciate that. I kind of lost my train of thought. We're talking about praying for. Oh, yeah. So, so God tells Job to pray for people that really don't appear to be worthy of prayer. But that's how God rolls. I was naked, you fed me. I mean, I was naked, you clothed me. I was hungry, you clothed me. And I was in prison, and you sent me to Disney World. Hello. You know what I'm trying to say. Here's what God does. God will go to the extreme, as I do sometimes, just to get a point across. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging for bread. That's the way that God rules. That's the way that our God rules. And as, and as, and as 
Job begins to pray for his friends. The Bible says God turns the captivity captive, turns everything around in his life, and gives him double for his trouble. His finances are doubled. His health, he will live another 80 years. His health is doubled. And then right there in the very last of Job 42, which I very easily could have started there, but I didn't, when, when God restores Job's children, he lost seven, he, actually he didn't lose, they went to heaven, seven sons and three daughters. It is interesting throughout the word of God, there's very little reference to women in the Old Testament, in the genealogy, let me say that. When you see that so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so, you ever notice that? It's always male. All the way through the Bible, it's always male. And today, we're still looking at the rights of women. And, and you know, it, I, I guess you would have to really be stupid not to realize that men get paid more for, than women doing the same job. And there is some challenges. I understand that. And I'm not here on a, on, a, on a platform preaching women's rights, although I believe that we're all free, Jew, Gentile, male, female. There's no respect or persons. He loves us all the same. But even, even now, I, I got in a debate uh, on Facebook this week uh, with someone concerning women ministry. Women ministry. Should women minister? No, should women shouldn't minister. Women shouldn't this and women shouldn't that. And I remember several years ago when a pastor and one of his elders cornered one of our contractors and a part of this church for years and very much involved and told him that they wanted, he, they wanted him to build on their church and they, they lied. They got him there to, to burn him because he went to a church that had a woman preacher. And he let them unload. He let them say everything they had to say. And then he said, well, you know, I don't know how many you touched this week. But Pastor Ron was just on Daystare and shared a testimony and touched 150 million. Just a thought. Just a possibility. Anyway, the story is women were not mentioned in genealogy. And, and women were not given the credit that was due. But when Job has seven more sons and three more daughters, he names the girls. We don't know the names of the 14 sons. We don't know the names of the other three girls. But he goes to a great deal of trouble to give us the name of the three girls. The first girl was Jemima. The second girl was Kezia. And the third girl was Karen Kapu. And as isn't that a pretty crazy name? Karen Kapu, there had to be some black roots in that naming, I'm sure. Got that little, that little pepper name there. But let me tell you about Jemima. How many knows about Jemima? All of us know about Jemima. Help me. And Jemima pancakes without the syrup is like the spring without the fall. There's only one thing worse in this universe. Help me. And that's no Aunt Jemima at all. Y'all are a quiet bunch today. I'm telling you, you guys are quiet. Those of you listening to my podcast, you got to be here to enjoy the singing that we do together, usually, but not today. Jemima, Jemima. The word Jemima. So Job lost three things. He lost his health, he lost his wealth, and he lost his children. When God restores Job, Job begins to speak from his heart. Three things that Job did not lose. Number one, Jemima means dove. Job never lost the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I'm going away, but it's expedient that I send you a comforter. 
and this comforter shall be with you always, even to the end of the world. So when you're going through the storms that you're going through and you're going through the valleys you're going through and the hurts and the bad news and the hang-ups and, and all those things, know that God will never leave you or forsake you even until the end of the world. He is with you. He's in your court. He's got your back. His Spirit's there watching over you, and He will take care of you. The second casia is an ingredient that goes in the apothecary. The apothecary was six ingredients mixed with oil that was used only at the altar of apothecary. Before the priest went beyond the veil in the presence of God, they would light the, pop, the potpourri, potpourri in the apothecary, and as these seven ingredients begin to smoke and the smoke begin to rise up, it created a fragrance that was known only to God. It was his special recipe for worship. I believe this morning God knows your scent. I believe that God knows your fragrance. I believe that when you go before the presence of God, I think he acknowledges your worship before he acknowledges your works. I think he acknowledges your worship before he acknowledges your worth. And when you begin to do what you were created to do and that fragrance goes up and gets the attention of God, it moves heaven and earth for your benefit. Prove it absolutely. The Bible says that Noah, when he got out of the ark on the mountain, he built an altar, he sacrificed animals to God, and the Bible says that God smelled a sweet savor and accepted the sacrifice and turned Noah's captivity to not being captive any longer. You have a fragrance that only God can identify with, that God can relate to. Don't ever lose your ability to worship. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when you're feeling bad, simply remember that God is on the throne. Jesus is your lawyer. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. And if God be for you, who in hell or heaven could possibly be against you? Karen Kapu, what a dumb name. Karen Kapu. Who would name their child Karen Kapu? That just does not seem fair. There's a girl at, at Wendy. She, it, it impresses her that I always remember her name, and her name is uh, Chochilla, Chochilla. And I don't know what kind of name that was. I think her parents had been drinking probably or heavy drugs when they named her, but, but there's something about, there's just something about a name. And the reason that he named her Karen Kapu, because Karen Kapu means vision, vision. He never lost his vision. He never lost the Holy Spirit. He never lost his worship. He never lost his vision. Because without a vision, the people perish. As you'll notice, Job's words, Job's words are filled with praise. Job's words are filled with input. Job is operating, are you ready for this? On the memories of yesterday. I know there's so many things said about memories and the past and bad memories and bad thoughts. But when I reflect back, I remember some very good times in, in memory. I remember when God delivered me from cocaine and alcohol and Marlboro. I remember when God restored my marriage. I remember when God healed my daughter of open heart surgery. I remember, I can reflect back and remember all the times that my life was gloriously spared because God was in control. So it doesn't hurt to look back and enjoy those memories, but God has given you a vision to be able to look forward. And if you're, if you're, if your, dream is, if, if, if your dream is not too big for you, it's not big enough. And I say that to Donnie this morning. I say that directly to Donnie. This, this adventure, this is what he felt like God has showed him to do. Can I share the testimony? And uh, we're just we're walking through this business all the way from 
the Genesis phase to Revelation phase, and we hit a snag. We needed $1,800 to purchase certain license that we need to be able to sell and build firearms. And out of the blue, a friend of his, uh, he and his friend were talking, and his friend said, I want to invest the $1,800 to get your business going. Now, the devil didn't do that. Satan didn't do that. That's how God operates when he has a tither in action. You get, you get the tithing. You get to putting so much money in the offering. It scares you. God will begin to do things that will scare you even more. That's the way that God rolls. That vision is there. It's for a reason. Write it down. Make it plain. And then expect it to take place. I conclude with almost every morning without exception. Pastor Rhonda has a list. And on that list, a couple of things are crossed off because she did those yesterday. And then she has on her list things that she would like to accomplish that day. I will look at that list. And if there's things that I can do to help her with that list, I'll let her know. Begrudgingly, carefully, slowly, I will commit to one or two of those things on that list. But when she writes that vision down and I look at it, I'm not God. But I'm able to help her with some of the things on that list. Granted, the things I help with are very uh, insignificant and unimportant. It mostly deals with taking boxes from point A to, to point B. And to, it means throwing all the empty boxes in the trash that came from Amazon for Queen for a day. I realize my, my investment is very little, and I like to keep it that way. That gives me time to do the stuff that I need to do and I want to do. Can anybody relate? But let me tell you something. There's only a couple of things on her list that I can take care of. God can take care of everything on your list and then some. Look at somebody and say, and then some. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this season. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the word. We thank you that we've identified some of the trials that we're in and going through. And you promised not just to see us through this trial, but to give us double for our trouble. God, we hold you accountable to your word and your promises. There are 5,000 promises in the book that you gave to us. And this is one of those promises that if we cast all our care upon you because you care for us and you'll remove that care and you'll give us the heart of a gladiator, the spirit of a warrior, and the mind of a son or a daughter. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation that...